This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Golden Edge, presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. has been good. Tonight was good. Intensity's been there from the group uh, right from day one. We can tell that we were, we were shipped, a huge ship on our shoulder. You know way things ended last year and it's carried over into camp. And you got to be happy with the intensity so far um, in practice and during that game as well. What is up, everybody? It's training camp time around the NHL. And we here at the Golden Edge podcast are back. Ben Goats. David Shane is here with me, your two review journal Golden Knights reporters. Adam Hill is out somewhere in California, I assume, chasing Raider stories. Yeah, we're, we're drinking here. wine in Napa or who knows what he's exactly, doing. Exactly, you know? but we're here, you know, by the ice, uh, keeping track of everything that's going on in training camp. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. We got a lot of ground to cover on today's podcast. Before we do that, just a reminder that Golden Edge podcast is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. Um, but Dave... You know, we're on day four of camp right now as we're recording this. How's, how's training camp going for you? Dragon, huh? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I felt it was really weird. I was really ready to go in, like, late August, you know? Like, I was all jazzed up. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, had a good summer. I feel revitalized. And then, like, all of a sudden, it just went and was like, oh, man, this is already travel. Like, I'm looking ahead. Like, this week, it's, like, really checkerboard, three road games. We got games. three road games that were each, uh, yeah. you're going to two, I'm going to one. So, you know, like, it's right, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Jargalant and George McPhee kind of almost warned the media, like, hey, this is going to get going, like, really quick, guy. You know, it gets fast and games and practice and boom before you know it. And, I mean, I was kind of looking ahead. I mean, it's going to be October, like, really before you know it. But, I don't know, the first couple of days, it's like, Oh, man, I don't know. No, it was crazy because, of course, they play a preseason game right away on Sunday. And, of course, you heard uh, Max Pacioretty, the hero of said preseason game, off the top. Uh, he was really impressive. And he's one of 52 guys in camp right now competing for spots on the opening night roster, which is maxed out at 23. Uh, and, yeah, since we last talked to you, we've seen three rookie games. We've seen that one preseason game. We'll see another one tomorrow. So, I mean, they're just rolling right now um a lot of things like i said have happened so we gotta go through some quick news and notes first of all jimmy schultz back in the fold he's in he's there yay jimmy schultz had not signed uh since the last time we talked uh got a one-year one-way deal uh for eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. that means he gets paid that regardless of whether he's in chicago or in las vegas with the golden knights uh so dave they brought him in literally the day of off-ice testing for rookie camp he signs Kelly McCrimmon, uh, coincidentally, uh, finished that deal about, you know, 10 minutes before he met with uh, us media plebs, um, to talk about it. So, I mean, are you shocked it took that long to get it done? Yeah, a little bit. 
I, I mean, I hope I'm not alone in that. It just seemed a little odd that something that's a, it's not an entry level contract. I, I understand that, but you know, he's coming out of college, doesn't have a whole lot of leverage and things like that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, he had a, he and his agent probably had a number in mind and, you know, we're probably trying to make that clear to the teams that were interested in, in what have you. But it seems to me like it should have, it should, it just seems like it should have been handled quick. And then, and then we got the statement from the agent. So that was the big one. The Yeah. That was just so bizarre. Like, so McCrimmon, uh, to recap at his little media availability was all Leslie Nielsen, nothing to see here basically as Jimmy Schultz shows up and signs the day he's required to report for camp. And Schultz also was like, no, I wasn't worried about it. I knew I was going to be coming here. Like it was fine. And then his agency tweets out that night about the arduous negotiations they've had with the golden Knights, which was, uh, as you said, certainly eye raising. And it was, it was, as far as I know, not not like unprovoked. I know that's not the right word, but you know, like it just kind of came out. Like it was, it was in their release and, and they wanted to make sure that that people kind of knew that there was some, you know, definite back and forth there. I guess it it just seemed a little odd. I mean, obviously, you know, from Jimmy Schultz' perspective, he's in camp, everything's good to go. It's not like anything's going to be held against him or, or or anything like that. But I think down the line, like next, next summer, summer yeah. yeah, when he's an RFA and they have to go through this again, I mean, it'll be interesting. I know we kind of. You know, some other people had asked me, and I think maybe we'd even banded about like, you know, well, could a trade come up? I mean, like the way the Gustav situation kind of played out, obviously they, you know, resolved that with a trade. Like what could happen with Jimmy Schultz? And certainly I'm not going to speculate, you know, that there's a trade in the pipeline. But next summer, I, it'll be interesting to watch. It'll be an interesting negotiation, you know, where he plays this year if he makes this team or if he's in Chicago and then, you know, how they have to then approach things based on that next summer. Yeah. He's one of several guys, of course, to watch for a spot that's open on the blue line right now. SDN sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign up bonus of up to $50. Another big notice. Ryan Reeves has not been out there for training camp so far. The uh, golden Knights bruiser had a minor injury that he suffered during offseason training. Um, it doesn't sound like the Golden Knights and specifically GM Kelly McCrimmon are too worried that Reeves is going to miss any regular season games. He's got till October 2nd to get ready to play against the San Jose Sharks. And uh, Dave, yeah, we were joking. I mean, just in practice and stuff. Do you really, really need Ryan Reeves out there banging bodies yeah. in training camp in the preseason? It's a, I always think like that, you know, in the football and the exhibition season, like why are you going to go out there and, you know, risk an injury? I mean, he's a guy, he's, he has to play the way he's going to play. You know, who knows in the preseason if somebody does something. We saw last night kind of an almost incident with Cody Glass where Max Pacioretty kind of stepped in right away and just made sure it didn't escalate. But, you know, if something were were to happen in the preseason, obviously Ryan Reese is going to be the guy that's going to stand up for his teammates. You really need him bouncing his knuckles off helmets and, and things like that in the preseason. He's clearly got a role. On this team, we know he's going to be, you know, one of the 23. I'm sure he's going to be in shape and I'm sure he would like to be out there and and things like that. But I'm kind of on the side of I don't know that it's, you know, all that necessary for him to be out there in a training camp and and things like that. Like like you said, like you mentioned, Kelly McCrimmon said, you know, he, he should be ready for August or excuse me, October 2nd. 
And that's that's pretty much the most important thing. Yeah, we'll have to continue to monitor that situation as we get closer to that date. Uh, and finally, and kind of the most important thing, um, Shea Theodore, uh, the day that training camp uh, opened with, you know, he went public about the fact that he got diagnosed uh, with testicular cancer this summer. Uh, he was at the World Championships representing Team Canada and basically wrote in a Players' Tribune essay that he got flagged for a failed drug test um, because he had a hormone in his body that's usually only found in pregnant women, but it can also be a sign that, you know, you have cancer. And so, of course, he ended up having surgery. He had to basically lay low for six weeks recovering from said surgery, couldn't work out at all. And then he eventually decided, I think, with the help of his agent, it sounded like that this was something he wanted to talk about because it's something that's obviously very difficult to talk about, you know, and talk about early screening and, you know, how important early detection was for him and potentially, you know, saving his career and maybe life, who knows. Um, and he talked a little bit about that decision um, at a recent availability. It was something I talked to with my agent. Um, you know, he said, you know, it could be could be good, uh, good advocate for it. And, you know, just to try and just open up, um, you know, I'm not, not not normally one of the guys that, that's very open about a lot of things, but, um, you know, I think it, it was an important time and, um, you know, being able to, the, the way that I found out and how lucky I was, um, it w- was definitely a, a factor in that. So that was Shea. I mean, pretty candid, obviously, about all the struggles um, that he went through. He called himself lucky a number of times. Um, he's still going to get back on the ice for this team. He's not on the ice yet as of this recording on Monday. He tweaked something, we were told, in kind of the off-ice workouts or testing that they were doing. I mean, a lot of it's probably just his body isn't in quite the shape it needs to be because he had to take six weeks off in the summer and his conditioning is probably not up to 100%. And we should also know he's donating to charity with every point he scores this year, and the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation will match that. So he's trying to give back as well, as well as just kind of talk about it. Um, Dave, what was your just reaction to this story? It really, I mean, for me, obviously, it came out of nowhere, but it was certainly, you know, interesting and to hear Shea talk about it and how he processed it, how he handled it, and now how he's trying to use that kind of moving forward to potentially help more people. I think, you know, for me, certainly it was stunning just to see, you know, it popped up on my Twitter timeline, uh, it, you know, first day of training camp, everything, you know, kind of getting going. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make light of this situation, but I will say, you know, I was kind of joking with a couple people that morning about, you know, oh, what am I going to write about? You know, oh, it's first day of camp and I can talk to McCrimmon and, you know, whatever. But like there was no Nate Schmidt suspension. There was no, you know, Shea Theodore contract issue like there was last year. And then all of a sudden, just we get hit with this just, you know, really heavy story, you know, from from Shay. I, I mean, first off, just the bravery that Super he shows to, to stand up there. You know, he's 24 years old. He's That's what's crazy is he's so young still. He, he's facing all the, you know, all these things. Like you said, you know, he's got a whole summer to process it. But, you know, for him to want to be an advocate, he could have let this stay quiet. It was in the summer. Nobody really knew about it. Nobody knew about it, you know? Outside of his it, teammates right. and their families, that's pretty much it. It, it, it didn't have, I don't, as far as I know, it didn't have to get out. There was nothing that, you know, it, it was Shea Theodore wanting to be an advocate for this, an advocate for early awareness, like you said, and, and those types of things. For him to be public and, and, and stand out there, you know, we've seen it, obviously, you know, Phil Kessel early in his career uh, went through a similar 
similar diagnosis with testicular cancer. Um, it, it's something that we've kind of seen kind of touch the, the hockey community, you know, at different times, but for Shay to be so forward about it, to be out front, um, you know, I, I think about that, that, you know, is it hockey for cancer or hockey mm -hmm. fights cancer. They, they always have that game every year. Uh, it's going to be much more impactful this year. It's going to be very different. Um, but more so, it's almost so striking to me that the, he used the term butterfly effect and, and we kind of wrote, you know, I wrote about it and he was asked about it, you know, during the, the news conference that he gave. And that to me is just the craziest part of this, that, that you really go and you look at something that was essentially one of the, I guess, worst moments in the, in the franchise's brief history, Cody Eakin's penalty. And, and the way that there was this negativity kind of surrounding it. And now you almost have this, this different view of it. You know, it, it, it takes the sting out of it in a way because if Cody Eakin's penalty kind of hadn't happened, if the Knights are able to advance in the playoffs, maybe Shea Theodore doesn't go to the world championships. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's like, he's, I played too much hockey and I need to rest my body. And, uh -huh. and maybe he's not drug tested before the quarterfinals and maybe nothing is caught. Yeah. You know, you'd like to think that when he comes back for the physical, you know, with the Golden Knights, that that everything is thorough, and and maybe a red flag would have would have come up, but they caught it early because of the way that everything worked out. And and like Shea Theodore said, he he, he feels lucky, and you know, sometimes just so I, I'm not a I'm not a real spiritual person, but sometimes things are just you know they they work out the way they're supposed to work out, I guess. And and I think you know in this case, you know, just just the way that you look at everything and and how it worked out is pretty powerful. No, certainly, and it's going to be. You know, something to, I guess, keep track of all year, just how he's doing. I mean, how he reacts on the ice. And as you mentioned, you know, the night where, you know, obviously you see where the players hold up the signs of who they're playing for and stuff. I mean, that's going to be so, so powerful for the Golden Knights. It's going to be powerful the first time, you know, they probably play the Coyotes and he has to, you know, defend Phil Kessel. Uh, they share an agent. So, and Theodore actually talked about in his essay, he saw, Kessel on the golf course like right after his diagnosis but couldn't really bring himself to say anything and then he ended up uh, getting a message from Kessel anyway unprompted um, so it's kind of crazy the connections that come out of stuff like this um, so we'll like I said keep monitoring that moving forward um, and I do think I mean just to, to make sure everybody knows I mean the injury like you said is unrelated to unrelated. this the, the he's fully that recovered he's not, yeah, from, that he's fully recovered yeah. he's expected you know, to be ready to go. Obviously, the doctors are going to monitor him and and things like that going forward. But as far as his health, as far as his prognosis, you know, everything looks good, and that 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 really is the most important thing. Absolutely. Well, in Theodore's absence, the blue line is still something that we've been watching these early days of camp. Uh, we've seen some interesting partnerships on the blue line. We've got about five young defensemen. Uh, Nick Hag, Jake Bischoff, Dylan Coglin, Zach Whitecloud, and of course Jimmy Schultz battling for at least one open job. Who knows? Maybe they keep two on the back end there. And like I said, interesting partnerships. Hag has been with Nate Schmidt, which I think has been interesting through the first, you know, two days of camp, basically. Uh, Jake Bischoff was paired with Derek England early in training camp. He was paired with Nick Holden uh, for the beginning of last night's preseason game. And we've also seen Dylan Coughlin paired with uh, John Merrill and Braden McNabb. And I mean, Gerard Gallant said that was pretty intentional that you want to get younger guys playing with vets just because the vets can kind of teach them, show them the ropes, kind of calm their nerves, all that stuff. 
but I still think there's a couple of partnerships in there that I wouldn't be surprised become an NHL partnership eventually with the way things are going. Um, but overall, in kind of this battle, Dave, is there any one or anything standing out to you so far? So far, Dylan Coughlin, I would say that. I think he's been, I guess I'll use the word standout. I don't want to say surprise, but he's been the standout, I think, of of certainly rookie camp and then into training camp. I thought he played well, you know, in that preseason game against the Coyotes last night. I, I liked the way he was able to jump up into that play and, you know, he got the the assist on Max Pacioretty's third goal. It was his shot, obviously, that that was stopped. And then Pacioretty banged home the rebound. I, I just, I feel like we've kind of talked about this. He's almost a Colin Miller clone. And, and when you're looking at things and replacing like for like and what can guys do, you know, he's got a big shot from the blue line. He's right-handed. Like, I mean, he's, it, it's, it's almost scary. Like when it's you eerie. look at him, yeah, how much... The games kind of remind you of of each other. It's very similar. I I think Jarglan even kind of slipped today, and and he mentioned Nick Hague and he mentioned Dylan Coughlin. I think those are the two names that are freshest, kind of on his mind right now. I think they really want to see that Hague Schmidt pairing. I think, like you said, that that's something we could see at the NHL. That that's a a, a lot of these things in preseason have been. I, I kind of made the comparison. It's, it looks like my buffet plate that it's just a big old mash and everything's kind of thrown together, but there are a couple that seem intentional and, and like they really want to see. And that schmidt Hague one was Schmidt back on the right-hand side because he's played both. You know, mm-hmm. he was with, you know, McNabb and he was on the right. And then when he went over with England toward the uh, second half of last season, he was on the left. But Jordan, well, I made it pretty clear today yeah, that he was going to play on the right. Right. He, and, and I think even that's probably maybe where Nate Schmidt prefers. He made he made an interesting comment about where he likes to have his stick. And he likes to be able to have his stick because he's left-handed against the boards, against the wall, and then still have his body to the inside. He can't do that on the left-hand side. He's got to cross all the way over with his right hand holding the stick with one hand, if you can picture that. He likes being able to have that stick along the wall. He likes being able on, you know, on that right side. So I think, you know, if Nick Hague is going to be a left side guy, that's a potential pairing that that we could see. That That's probably what's jumped out the most so far. I don't know that anybody's really like separated themselves. I don't know that we've really seen a guy go, you know, okay, I am absolutely NHL ready. You have to put me in the lineup right. yet. And we'll see. There's some. There's you know, there's a, like a handful of games coming up here. Jar Glant kind of said, you know, I pretty much want my lineup before the last two games of preseason. He he wants it pretty much set at that point. That those are kind of the dress rehearsals. So that would give you know these rookie defensemen you know the next three or four games to really you know kind of separate themselves and, and show you know I'm the guy that that you need to keep. Yeah, we'll see. We saw most of them last night. Four out of them. All of them. Besides Hag, basically, I was mentioning. I mean, Coglin, huge shot offensive guy, led the Chicago Wolves in points last year. Uh, was their number one power play guy once Eric Brandstrom got traded. So, as you said, I mean, there's a clear role for him if they want to continue to have basically like a Colin Miller esque type of person there. And then you've got the guys like Bischoff and Schultz, who are more of you know jack of all trades, kind of master of none kind of guys. They're the guys who needs to win with fundamentals, be smart, make good passes, probably not going to score you 40 points in a season or even really come close to that. But the hope is if they're smart enough, they're not going to get you beat. And then you have Haig, who's, you know, just clearly the highest upside of all these guys. I mean, huge body, 
good shot can bring you offense. You know, you hope eventually once he gets even stronger, it's just going to be a force in the corners can provide kind of something that they don't really have right now in terms of size. Like he's bigger than everyone they have at the NHL level. Like Braden McNabb is kind of, you know, thick. He's built well, but you know, he's six, three and Hag is way bigger yeah. than that. He dwarfs him in, in regards. Yeah. And, and Hag looks like he's going to put on, you know, weight, like his frame can still get bigger too. No, absolutely. And he's got that nasty streak too. You know, I mean, that, that's what would excite me so much about him. I think that's what excites, you know, the Golden Knights brass about him. You know, like you said, there's just so many different tools. You know, he George McPhee used this phrase about we have different flavors, but I Nick Hague is the unique flavor. He's a very of, unique flavor. At, at all that. And, and one, so just real quick, because I'm babbling over you, I want to throw Zach Whitecloud in there, though, too, because right. we haven't really talked about him. And I think he's absolutely in the mix here. I, I no, totally. don't want to discredit him. I think he's a little bit different, you know, from some of those guys. He's not going to stand out offensively, you know, maybe the way that Dylan Coughlin is, but he's got that steadiness uh, in, in, the, in the same way that, you know, like some of the you know, Jimmy Schultz. Um, you know, guys like that, that are a little more of that kind of stay at home sort of feel. Um, but Zach Whitecloud, I think, you know, has shown he can, he can skate, he's physical, uh, and, and he's definitely a smart kid. That That's the one thing that jumps out to and me. And competitive. That's yeah. been impressive too. Just listening to him talk, how competitive he is. And he's like basically ready to go every day of camp of like, Hey, every year we do this. We're going to compete for spots. We're going to compete for power play time. We're going to compete for penalty kill time. And he's basically like, I'm here for it. Like, let's go. And so just like kind of, his attitude and approach to this has been just kind of interesting to me. Yeah. And certainly I thought he, for the most part, acquitted himself well uh, yesterday in the preseason game. He's more physical than I kind of thought he would be. He's, you know, been pretty good about pushing guys around in front of the net and in the corners. He's got a decent shot. Like he can bring you some offense. He's scored quite a few points for the Wolves last year. And so, yeah, was, he's absolutely in the mix. I, I, what's interesting to me is it seems like so far everybody has played their best when they've been paired with Zach Whitecloud. And I don't think that's, you know, like a coincidence. I, you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a reason for that. I, I think we kind of talked about this w- with another player, you know, and, and you have to work together with a partner um, and, and play off somebody and things like that. Some guys are harder to, to, to play off, to play with, I guess. Uh, I, Zach Whitecloud just seems like somebody that everybody, you know, as a partner, you know where he's going to be. You know he's reliable and allows you to kind of, you know, have some freedom to play your game because you know he's back there, you know, basically covering your butt. Yeah, so we'll have to see as these roles are nowhere near settled yet, so we'll still see how those five perform the remainder of the preseason. Uh, Other openings, of course, to keep an eye on for the Golden Knights. A third-line left wing, you've got guys like Granny Perry, Tomas Nosek kind of competing there. Fourth-line center, too, uh, Nicholas Waugh, who was acquired in the Eric Holla trade. Nosek probably also in the mix there. Uh, also on that left wing spot, we could see like veterans like Patrick Brown was a guy who played yesterday, did some good things, I thought. Um, what's been kind of your impression of these kind of just mix that they've got back there? Because they've got a lot of guys, but it, I don't think they have quite clarity on who's going to fill all these spots yet. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that's, you know, one of the bigger issues for Jargalant and, you know, George McPhee, Kelly Crimmon kind of coming into training camp and then for the next week here is to kind of identify you know, some guys. So I'll throw one name at you because I was always really hard on this guy. And he's actually flashed a little bit for me is 
I guess, is it Zykov? Zikov? Now we have a whole issue on how to pronounce his name. We'll get into that. But so I'll keep calling him Zikov uh, until we get confirmation. But he's looked good. Mm-hmm. He so so I've said this. One of my things with him last year is it just seemed like he would take three strides and then kind of want to do something. There wasn't a lot of like straight line, you know, just kind of put your head down and go sometimes to his game. And I feel like, I don't know if it's conditioning or what, but there's just more pace to, to his game. It, it seems like they've gotten, I don't want to stereotype, they've gotten some of the European hockey out of him more and, and getting him to really, really, really understand kind of North American style and that he's got big body and, and kind of how to use that. Um, I'll be curious to see, you know, how he, get, you know, as the preseason goes along, what he's able to do in, in some of these games and things. But he's a guy, as, as we look at the third line mix and, you know, maybe that 13th forward or, or 14th, if, if we're talking that they keep only seven defensemen, I, you know, I think he's a name that'll be interesting. I mean, he scored 30-something goals in, you know, the AHL a couple of years ago. They picked him up off waivers and they really liked him. You know, they, they said they wanted to work with him and see, you know, if they can kind of teach him some stuff, get him to play their style. I, I feel like he's more acclimated. I feel like he's more comfortable and I feel like if he's going to do anything, like this is the best situation, you know, like this is his chance. This is the best spot for him to thrive, the, the best opportunity. So we'll see if he can take advantage of it. Yeah, I'd love to see. I think it's one of those things where, I mean, the Knights obviously want to play a fast game, a speed-based game, and I think it probably takes players' time to adjust to that. I mean, we heard from, you know, Keegan Colasar, who had the big hit in the preseason game last night, that it took him time to adjust to, like, okay, this is how they want me to play. Like, I've got to add speed to my game. And that's probably not an overnight process, especially in the case of Zikov, when you're thrown you know, into the organization in the middle of the season. And so you don't have a summer to really work out and get in the kind of shape that you probably need to be in to play a system like that. And you're trying to acclimate to a new city, new team, and of course a new style of play. It's just a lot at once, but he seems more comfortable now after having a summer to kind of process everything. Yeah. And the, I mean, the Golden Knights were his third team last year. I mean, he started with the Carolina organization. He was put on waivers, went to Edmonton. You know, so then if you're you're up in Edmonton and all of a sudden you're dealing with Ken Hitchcock's system when he was up there and, and you're being asked to do all kinds of different things than, you know, certainly Gerard Gallant would ask him to do. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's a, there's a lot of a different acclimation that goes into it. And I think, you know, like I said, if, if he's going to be an NHL guy, you know, he's if he's going to jump on that opportunity, this is this is it. This is his chance right here. Yeah. Another, I guess, non-competition for us to be watching uh, is the backup goaltender spot. Uh, Malcolm Subban started the first preseason game, had a very Subban-esque game where he allowed two pretty, you know, be honest, soft goals uh, in the first period and then was just dialed in after that. I mean, there was at one point uh, on a penalty kill where he saved like four or five shots like in a row in quick succession and he just kept recovering to make the next save and it was really impressive, which makes you confused by about why those first two went in uh, in the first place. Um, but earlier in training camp, when I asked uh, Kelly McCrimmon, like, hey, is this Malcolm Subban's job to lose or is he the guy? And basically his answer was, yeah, he's our backup goaltender. You know, they brought in Garrett Sparks this offseason um, in a trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But McCrimmon made it sound like that was for organizational depth. That was to have kind of a more experienced guy basically in Chicago. And now they have 
at least in his mind, a more experienced third goaltender if they hold on to Sparks, if indeed that's the plan and they end up uh, sending him down. Are you surprised by that at all? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not because... So I think, I, I think they were genuine in their comments, but I also don't think they would say anything else. Like I don't think they would say publicly that, yeah, there's an open competition for the backup job. You know, you know what I mean? Like they, they wouldn't want to, I don't think they would want that on Malcolm Subban that there's all this pressure now of, okay, everybody knows you're fighting for your job. I don't know, obviously what happened behind, you know, what conversations go on behind the scenes with said players and, and what have you. I mean, if I'm Malcolm Subban, I certainly interpreted the moves this summer as I'm going to have to fight a little bit here. You know, I got a one-year contract, $850,000 that he signed for, you know, okay, I'm going to have to fend off some guys. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, like you talked about with some of the other, you know, they're used to competition. Right. It's not a bad thing to have guys competing and it brings out the best of each other. So from that regard to push him a little bit, you know, it, I, I think that that's what is behind it. Now, if Malcolm Subban goes and plays like he did in the first period, you know, all throughout training camp, well, at that point, yeah, it's going to be an open competition because like Kelly McCrimmon has said, the players kind of, they you know, say what you're going to do. Exactly. They, they kind of take care of that themselves. So if he's playing poorly, well then, yeah, you're going to have to look at it. You've brought in a guy like Garrett Sparks, who's got some NHL experience has been very successful at the AHL level. You know, if you have to go to him, it's not a bad guy to go to. But I do think, like I said, I mean, clearly, I, I do think it's Malcolm Subban's job right now. Uh, I think he played well in the last two periods. I think if he plays like that, you know, if you're a Golden Knights fan, you would feel good, you know, going forward. You just want him to get that first period stuff out of, out of the way. Right. Whatever it takes to lock him in 10 minutes earlier, I mean, would be absolutely crucial to turn him from kind of a backup that they've been hesitant to turn to at times to a guy they're comfortable given you would think you know maybe close to 30 games or something this next year maybe more I mean because that's obviously part of why this backup goaltender situation is intriguing as well is not just how is Malcolm Subban going to perform it's is he going to perform well enough where the Knights feel comfortable taking the pressure off of Marc-Andre Fleury compared to what they had to do last year which is Flurry was starting, you know, 90% of the time when he was healthy. And that probably isn't going to be sustainable as he keeps getting up there in age. So you need someone, whether it's Subban or Sparks, to kind of take the reins and say, like, hey, I can spell him, you know, once a week or maybe, you know, twice every three weeks or whatever it's going to take to keep Flurry healthy kind of for an entire season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it can't just be about, hey, you get the back to backs. You, you know, the, the way that the, the NHL is kind of going, the trend now is, is going away from those kind of workhorse goaltenders into more of a, of a tandem closer to an even split. You know, we saw it with the Islanders last year. Um, we, we see more teams kind of, kind of going toward that. Marc-Andre Fleury was leading the league in, in appearances when he got hurt. I don't think if they get to March 15th this year, if Marc-Andre Fleury is leading the league in, in appearances, I'm not sure that's the best thing for him. It probably means he's playing really well. Right. No, you'd but, think. But I, I think they would prefer, you know, more of what, that 52-30 split or, or even something, you know, 48-30, what, what is my math? I don't 48-34. There you go. Okay. 
I'm a writer, not a mathematician, but, but something along those lines, like something closer to that. But, but again, it's going to be on, like you said, the onus is on Malcolm Subin to prove, earn it. Yeah. That he can take that on because one of the things last year that we saw was they dug themselves a hole and kind of had to play flurry. And, and they That's almost they ba- felt like anyway. Yeah. And they almost basically admitted, Hey, we were, we we're playing catch up. We couldn't just, you know, take s- nights off. We had with, to build points. Right. So if they get into a situation like that, if they're whatever, and Mark Andre Fleury's got to, you know, play that 90%. I don't think that bodes well, but again, it, it has to be because Malcolm Subban has earned it. It has to be because Malcolm Subban is making progress toward maybe potentially being the heir apparent. And, 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 you know, at some point, Malcolm Subban's got to prove whether he's a backup or whether he's a number one goalie in this league. This to me would be, you know, the, the, the right time to kind of start proving that. I think he's going to get a chance. I think he's going to get games. So you want to kind of start to see that. If you're the Gold Knights, you got to know, you know, hey, where are we going to go here when when Mark Andre Fleury's contract expires in three years? Definitely something we'll be monitoring the rest of the preseason. Uh, as we said, Subban got the start in yesterday's preseason game. Garrett Sparks expected to play in tomorrow's preseason game against the Los Angeles Kings. A uh, ton more going on when it comes to Golden Knights training camp. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at Ben S. Goats, at David Shane LVRJ, and check out our articles in the paper, physical copy. They still come. They still exist. You can grab them. Or reviewjournal.com and make sure to keep checking in with us uh, here on the Golden Edge podcast, which is presented by STN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. Uh, From our esteemed producer, Larry Meir, I'm Ben Goetz. He's Dave Shane. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.